The Westminster Confession of Faith was first published in 1646. It was the result of the hard work done by a group of men called the Westminster Divines. Their goal was to outline what they believed the Scriptures principally taught. And it has been said that the Church of Christ cannot be creedless and live. Thankfully, the Westminster Confession of Faith has been the creed of the Reformed Church for almost 400 years. This podcast seeks to point you to Christ, to help you navigate the Westminster Confession of Faith, and to see you understand what you believe and why you believe it. Welcome to This We Confess. Westminster Confession of Faith, Chapter 8, Of Christ the Mediator, Paragraph 4. This office the Lord Jesus did most willingly undertake, which that he might discharge, he was made under the law, and did perfectly fulfil it, endured most grievous torments immediately in his soul, and most painful sufferings in his body, was crucified and died, was buried and remained under the power of death, yet saw no corruption. On the third day he arose from the dead, with the same body in which he suffered, with which also he ascended into heaven, and there sitteth at the right hand of his Father, making intercession, and shall return to judge men and angels at the end of the world. Most of us would readily volunteer for a task which offered, at the end of it, great rewards. But there are probably very few of us listening to this podcast who would take on a task which we knew would ultimately cause us great suffering in life and ultimately lead to our death. And yet as we read paragraph 4 of chapter 8 of the Westminster Confession, we read that Christ willingly undertook the office of of mediator, despite the fact that it would inevitably lead to great suffering and death. The paragraph begins by stating this truth. This office, that is the office of mediator, this office the Lord Jesus did most willingly undertake. Jesus was not forced into taking on the office of mediator. He did not have to have his arm twisted up his back. Jesus was not doing this because he, as a popular song says, didn't want heaven without us. Jesus willingly undertook the office of mediator. We see that in the word of God. In Psalm 40 verses 7 to 8, a messianic psalm. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. And commenting on this psalm in Hebrews chapter 10, we read, Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first. 
in order to establish the second. And by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Here, as Scripture interprets Scripture, we see in Psalm 40, and then again in Hebrews 10, that Jesus Christ, our Saviour and Lord, is also our willing mediator, not taking on his responsibilities through force or coercion, but willingly. In John chapter 10 and verse 18, the Lord says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus, as Philippians 2 tells us, was found in human form. But he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus is our willing mediator, undertaking all the responsibilities that come with that rule. And this is a cause of great delight for the Christian. If you are struggling to find any reasons to worship God today, we'll meditate upon this first sentence, that Christ was your willing mediator. Knowing what you're like, knowing your sin, knowing how often you promise and then fail to keep those promises, still the Saviour came and still he willingly took on the office of mediator. And this willingness to be our perfect mediator leads Christ to what we describe as his humiliation. The next words in this paragraph tell us that Jesus was made under the law so that he might discharge the responsibilities of the mediator. He perfectly fulfilled that law, but he endured the most grievous torments immediately in his soul and most painful sufferings in his body. He was crucified, he died, he was buried. And he remained under the power of death, yet saw no corruption. Our willing mediator came and willingly made himself under the law. In Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4, we read that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Chad Van Dixhorn puts this wonderfully when he writes, The second person of the Trinity placed himself under all the obligations of the moral law, designed from eternity to reflect his own perfect character. The one who is wisdom itself accepted the tutelage of the ceremonial law, and the one who is life itself submitted to the curse and the horror of the sacrificial law, seeing it in the temple, and ending it on the cross. And so on our behalf, Jesus keeps the law perfectly and fully. In Matthew 3 and verse 15, after John the Baptist has raised an objection about baptizing Jesus, the Lord answers him and says, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. And in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 17, we read, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And so Jesus keeps the law perfectly and fully on our behalf. He keeps the moral law. 
He obeys his parents. He loves his neighbour. He doesn't covet. He doesn't kill. He obeys the ceremonial law. The ceremonial laws governed sacrifices and ritual purity for worship. Christ kept these laws perfectly, ultimately becoming the sacrifice that would remove the sin of his people. And Christ kept the civil laws or the judicial laws, which were given that the people of God could live together in national Israel. Calvin says this about the moral, ceremonial and judicial laws. The moral law is contained under two heads, one of which simply commands us to worship God with pure faith and piety, the other to embrace men with sincere affection. Accordingly, it is the true and eternal rule of righteousness, prescribed for men of all nations and times who wish to conform their lives to God's will. For it is his eternal and unchangeable will that he himself be worshipped by us all and that we love one another. The ceremonial law was the tutelage of the Jews, writes Calvin, with which it seemed good to the Lord to train his people, as it were, in their childhood until the fullness of time should come, in order that he might fully manifest his wisdom to the nations and show the truth of those things which then were foreshadowed in figures. And the judicial law, given to them for civil government, imparted certain formulas of equity and justice by which they might live together blamelessly and peaceably. The moral, ceremonial and judicial laws were all kept fully by Jesus. And even though Jesus, <clears throat> and even though under all three distinctions of the law, Jesus is innocent and perfectly blameless, he still goes to the most grievous torments in both body and soul. The Westminster Divines here speak of Christ's descent into hell, as the Apostles' Creed would put it. Jesus endures most grievous torments immediately in his soul. In Matthew chapter 26 and verses 37 to 38, we read, Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, Jesus began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. In Gethsemane, we see Christ's descent into hell. We see the anguish and the torment that he experienced in his soul. We see his humiliation in the garden. And in Matthew 27 and verse 46, as the Lord is dying upon the cross, Jesus cries out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, that is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in Luke 22 and verse 44, as Jesus prays earnestly, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Here the scriptures show us Christ's descent into hell, his sorrows as his death is approaching, all part of the humiliation of our willing mediator. It is important to note at this stage that often many people have been confused by that phrase in the Apostles' Creed that Christ descended into hell. Some have stated that Jesus, after he died, went into hell and was punished there. There are even some popular 
Christians today who speak of how the Lord was trampled over every demon and devil in hell itself. But this is simply not true. It is unbiblical. Christ's descent into hell consisted before his death as he endured most grievous torments immediately in his soul. And not only did Christ experience this pain in his soul, but also in his body. The confession here tells us that Christ experienced these sufferings in his body as he was crucified and died and was buried. And Jesus even remained under the power of death and yet saw no corruption. What the Westminster Divines here mean is that when the Lord's body was placed in the tomb, it did not rot. It did not begin to disintegrate as ours would if we today were placed in our grave. As Paul preaches in Acts chapter 13, he compares David and the Lord Jesus. In verse 36, Paul says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up did not see corruption. The Lord Jesus Christ, say the Westminster Divines, underwent torment in his soul and most painful sufferings in his body. Our willing mediator was crucified and died and was buried for our sake. And our willing mediator remained under the power of death in the grave and yet saw no corruption. We should be incredibly thankful today for the humiliation of our willing mediator, Jesus. But as we know, Christ did not remain in the grave. The grave had no power over Jesus. And on the third day, he rose again from the dead in the very same body in which he suffered, as this paragraph continues. It is marvellous to note that if we could see Jesus today, we would see the wounds in his body. Just as Doubting Thomas saw in John 20, so too would we see. Jesus rose again from the dead on the third day with the very same body on which he suffered. And where is Jesus now? Well, according to the Westminster Divines, they tell us that Jesus ascended into heaven and he sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession. Chad Van Dixhorn speaks beautifully of Christ's intercessory ministry. In spite of our daily feelings, in spite of the accusations of our enemies, Jesus is there to quieten our conscience, to encourage our prayers and to accept us and our services. He is our advocate and his very appearance in the presence of God, his scarred body in that perfect place, fully pleads our desperate case. He is able to silence our accuser, for in heaven it is a known fact that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. We're thankful for this wonderful statement of truth, both by the Westminster Divines and by Chad Van Dixhorn. Jesus today has ascended into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and makes intercession for his bride, the church. But the Lord Jesus is not going to stay there. This paragraph comes to an end by telling us clearly that Jesus will one day come from that heavenly place to judge men and angels at the end of the world. Christ is coming back, and it is a return that we must be ready for. 
For when Jesus comes, it is not to turn water into wine. It is not again to go to the cross. That has been done and accomplished once and for all. The law has been kept fully on our behalf. When Christ returns, it is to judge men and angels. It is to sit on the great judgment seat at the end of time. In Matthew chapter 13 and verses 40 to 42, we read, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. We would echo the Lord's words today. He who has ears, let him hear. Jesus has gone through humiliation in both soul and body. Today, Jesus is alive forevermore. He has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for his people. But this same Jesus, one day, on the final day, will return. And on that day, we will either stand in judgment because we have trusted in Christ Or we will be lost forevermore and thrown into the fiery furnace. Friends, today hear this part of Christ's ministry. It is the mediator, Jesus Christ, who will sit on the judgment seat. And it is the mediator who today you must do business with if you would flee from the wrath of God that is to come. And so as this podcast comes to a close today, I would simply urge you to be ready for the return of Jesus. Our mediator has promised that all who repent of their sins and put their trust in him will be saved. Please understand that you do not need to seek Jesus at the top of a mountain. You do not need to try and work your hardest and do your best to be saved. You do not have to seek him out and try to discover him on a great voyage of religious enlightenment. Today you know where he is. This paragraph has made it clear. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father and he will hear and answer all who call upon him. Some questions to close today's episode. Question 1. How is Christ's willingness to take up the office of mediator a great comfort to us? Question 2. Where does Christ's willingness lead? Question 3. What are the three parts of the law that the Lord Jesus Christ kept fully? Question 4. What do we mean when we speak of Christ's descent into hell? Question 5. Where is Jesus now and what is he doing? And question six, according to this paragraph, what will Jesus one day return to do? That's all for today. As always, my name is Scott Woodburn. And until next time, this we confess. (laughs) 